News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio where you want it, when you want it. Good morning, and welcome to Garden Talk on 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. I'm Jay Thomas, Jill Van Dyvendijk is in me in the studio here with me. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. A little bit of a gray sky morning, but oh, okay, I guess we'll, we'll handle that. We're going to talk a bit about the weather here as well. And joining us by phone today from the metropolis of... Where? Mooseman, I think he is. <laughs> Mooseman, Saskatchewan. <laughs> Rick's with us, of course, too. So, uh, Rick, what's what's going on at Mooseman today? Lots of snow. Lots of snow right across the prairies. I was in Winnipeg for two days for my grandson starting the WHA playoffs. And uh, so it's a game on between uh, Winnipeg and Medicine Hat. And, and tonight it's the Blades against the Regina Pats. So it's uh, it's, it's a province uh, turn. Uh, a tournament to see who has bragging rights. Yeah, well, and you know, every time the... So is, is that game in Saskatoon tonight or is it in the Regina? Yeah. It's no, in Saskatoon. It's Saskatoon tonight, yeah. Every one of those games so far has sold, sold out, out Sastel Center. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Like, that's that's usually only big concerts that do that. So that's incredible. Good for the Blades for doing that. WHL this year is just... It's exciting to watch. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Well, a young man named Connor from Regina is, has a lot to do with that, too. Yeah. He's an He's just an amazing player. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Okay, so you're in Mooseman right now. We were talking a little bit about the snow for a second there. I was on a, a bit of a drive yesterday or, or a couple days ago as well, and yeah, this uh, this is kind of turning into a bit of a late spring, isn't it? Uh, even in Winnipeg, there was some snow on the roofs of of steel buildings still. Like, it's just unbelievable for this for April 1st to have, you know, at least on the snows on it is, uh, is not unusual, but to be on top of buildings and that much snow piled up yet is unbelievable. In yeah. the south side of my house, the back of my house faces south, and it's blazing hot, like southwest. And I still have a, a good two and a half to three feet of snow in my whole backyard. Right. Like, my entire backyard right up against the fence. It is. I've never seen it like this before. So what is that going to mean for, for everything, Rick? Does that mean, like, you know, if we've had late springs before, does that mean, you know, for for our producers, late crops getting into the fields? Does that mean for, you know, gardeners and, and, and that sort of thing, just things being delayed? Well, it might be down south. It might be delayed for some of the producers because uh, normally they the snow has gone a lot quicker down south, right? But it's right. still quite a bit of snow down in the south and uh and then so that that's going to be a delay i mean in the in the northern part of the province uh probably not too much of a delay it's just the only delay probably would be is that uh with the amount of snow you might have some low areas that you might not get seeded in right away i may have to wait for them to dry up you know but uh but other than that um uh the biggest one's going to be is had calls of people with shelter belts saying their little spruce trees they had planted out uh, the tips are starting to turn purple already. So, oh boy! And that's because of the sun's getting higher in the sky. You know, our daylight's getting longer, and these plants have the little tips sticking out of the snow, and the reflection off the snow with the sun is is just desiccating. It's, it's drying them out, and and so you get that color, that color turning. So, um, what you can do about that is either uh, cover them up with some snow again as long as you can, so that they're protected. Or otherwise, take some. If you have an area where it might you might have some dirt, just uh, throw some black dirt on top of it, or you know ashes or whatever you got to discolor the snow so that it's uh, it doesn't reflect the, the the sun off the snow. 
And that's a huge way of, of stopping that from happening as well. And I think we're actually getting a few plus temperatures coming up here. So another thing that you can do is you can grab some wilt proof on those plus temperature days and maybe spray some wilt proof on that, which will help that desiccation as well. Exactly. Yeah, we, we, might, we might have light at the end of the tunnel looking at the forecast, at least for parts of the province, next weekend. It's always next weekend, but <laughs> next weekend, uh, we're supposed to see 10 and 11 degrees as our daytime highs for Easter long weekend. So that might be really nice, and hopefully we'll start to you know, speed up this process. I remember we always used to go at Easter. Easter weekend was the weekend we'd go out and look for crocuses, so hopefully we'll be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if we're doing that, but <laughs> we can at least look for puddles. Uh, hey, let's go to our phone lines at one 332 8255 This is kind of exciting. We have somebody calling all the way from Edmonton in the province over, and Lorraine is here to join us. Good morning, Lorraine. Good morning, and I want to tell you that it is spring in Edmonton. Oh, is they it really? Such a, they have such different weather than us this year. It's beautiful. Are you uh, from Saskatchewan and in Edmonton right oh, now? Yes. yes. Yeah, we just live south of the city, but um, we live south of Saskatoon. But we're just visiting my daughter here, and she has a hibiscus plant that I have some questions about. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so it's it's in a pot that's about uh, probably a 10-gallon pot. It's an older plant. It's, she's cut it back many times. It's probably like four feet you know, diameter, the plant. Okay. So it's a good-sized plant, you know, sort of four feet all around, up and sideways. It's never bloomed. It's in a south window. Um, she's just wondering, like, she's cut off any stragglers uh, that have kind of shot out, you know. She's cut them back. Um, she's wondering about a different pot, different soil. Should she take it outside and dump all the soil off and, and put new soil in the pot? Just some suggestions that you might have. Yeah, so the first suggestion I'd have is I'm glad that she's been trimming it. That's that's the most important thing. The hibiscus actually tend to go a little bit dormant and drop some of their leaves in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And trimming it is the one, one of the most important things. And I would trim it about even a, a third um, off of each of the branches, and that will help rejuvenate it. Um, the soil, if she wants to tip it on its side and pop it out of its pot and see how root-bound it is, you can definitely do that. Um, but if the roots haven't hit the edge of the container and are winding around, then it's probably good in the container it's in right now um okay if it's that old and she's been fertilizing it often but maybe the fertilizer hasn't leached out the bottom of the pot um sometimes you can get some salt buildups in the bottom of the pot and that's also a good sign that maybe i need to transplant it if i've been doing that for a long time just to get rid of some of that salt buildup or else i can leach it out now when i'm leaching my plant out i'm dumping water and having the water pour out the bottom um i want to make sure that i'm doing that in a time of year where that plant can actually dry out so doing that in the dead of winter is not a good time because then your plant right. might not dry out as much. So it's a good time to do it when you can put it out on the deck and then the nice sunshine and wind can help it dry out a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that you can so you, do... You would pull it out of the pot and examine the sides to see if the roots are, if it's root bound or not. Check for salt in the bottom and then just, you would just flood it with water and just... Like, are you talking about kind of washing the roots off? You can wash the roots off, um, or if you want to, you can just put it back in the pot and water it well so the water comes out the bottom of the pot. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. So then the next thing you can do is I find that hibiscus... 
If you want to switch to a 15-30-15 fertilizer, that higher um, phosphorus in the middle might help it rebloom for you. So you can okay. do that for a couple treatments. But I actually find that hibiscus do better on an organic fertilizer. There's less salts, yeah. salts in it, and uh, and it it might actually do better with like the kelp and and all the micronutrients too. So okay, so I have brought her some um, alfalfa green. Now is that? Organic enough or something better? I would probably do something a little bit, a little bit stronger than the alfalfa green. The alfalfa green is, is great, um, but it doesn't have as many of the micronutrients in it that some of the organic okay. fertilizers have. So if you look for okay. an organic fertilizer for like a flowering plant or um, container gardening, that's kind of what you're going to be looking for, that, that type of blend. Hey, okay. Jill, how about, how about something like Rage Plus when it, when, you know, for, for a plant that's struggling? Yeah, for a plant that's struggling, Rage Plus is, is an organic fertilizer you can use and it really helps promote the root system. So if you pull that plant out of the pot and you're having to play with those roots a little bit or cut off some rotten ones, um, using that Rage Plus will definitely help for sure. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, you um, when you mentioned regular fertilizing, did you say 15-30-15? Yeah, 15-30-15. Just upping that middle number might help you get it right. just a boost to rebloom a little bit. I wouldn't do that all the time or else you get lots of stretch, right. stretching on your plant. Um, okay. But to help force it to rebloom, especially in the peak of the season when you're watering it a lot, you can do that. Okay. Um, yeah. When you're watering your plant a lot, like if it's outside, if you move it outside, um, you can probably fertilize every every one to two weeks. Otherwise, I'd probably do it every two to three weeks indoors. Okay. Okay. How many, how, say again, for indoors? Three? Indoors every two to three weeks. Two to three weeks. Yeah. Okay. Or if you want to, you can uh, dilute it to a mild solution and do it every time you water as well, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that doesn't very helpful. There you go. Hibiscus 101. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. And get some spring in Saskatchewan. I think that was our April Fool trick was to give us winter till the night. Bring it home with you. Yeah, exactly. Okay, take care, everyone. Thanks, Lorraine. Take care. Bye. 1-877-332-8255. If you've got a great question like Lorraine did, uh, looking for some information like that, that's uh, it's a perfect time to get a hold of us. 1-877-332-8255. What we're going to do is we'll take a quick break. We're going to check our text line when we get back, talk a few more things with uh, with Spring Around the Corner here as well. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick Van Dyke. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Thanks for joining us on Garden Talk. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick. Rick, today is uh, in Mooseman, Saskatchewan, and on the phone, Jill here is in the studio with me, and we've got some exciting news because April 16th, we've had people asking us this question, sending us text messages, dun, dun, dun. and we are going to our two-hour show on April 16th. Woohoo! Fanfare. Two drums. hours. Yes. Nine to 11, you get to hear us. Exactly. So all kinds of time to, uh, to join the conversation, join the show, and give us a call, 1-877-332-8255, and that's where you can text us as well. So thought we'd go over our text line right now and see what we got that's uh, rolled in there. Uh, let's see. How about this? Not sure who it's from, so if you do text us... Oh, sorry, it's Kim, who's in Gravelberg. There was a second text there. Uh, this is from... Kim, good morning. Wondering if it's a good idea to plant willows near a dugout. Will they drink too much of that water? Also, is there a willow you'd recommend for our acreage near Gravelberg? We're going to purchase some from the Saskatchewan Association of Watersheds program, SAW. Yeah, willows can grow near the dugout, no problem. The thing is you've got to make sure you don't do is that sometimes the dugouts overfill. And if the dugouts overfill and the willows become underwater, the willows will die. 
So we saw that probably about seven years ago when we had a lot of rain in those years, and you saw all the all the sloughs all get really full and expand their their banks, and now you see all the dead trees around all the uh, all the sloughs. So that's why you sort of decide because willows will grow their roots out quite a ways. So it doesn't have to be right beside; it could be just a little farther over and a little higher up, and their roots will reach down to the water, and then they'll be basically drought-proof if when that happens. So they do drink a bit more water, but uh, but I mean not not that much that that it would drain the um, uh, the dugout. It all depends what you're using the dugout for as well. So, uh, but it's. Uh, but the willows will love it beside a dugout. Right, just do you have a ver- right. Do you have a variety that you would suggest? Uh, around here, probably the laurel leaf willow would probably do one of the best, or another one I, I like that looks good is the golden willow as well. So just got to make sure it's far enough away from that water that it's not yep. going to risk getting drowned. It's going to send out shoots and roots anyways and, and find that water source. Regardless, exactly. yeah. Uh, the second question that uh, Kim has is: Is there any way we can protect our new tree seedlings from grasshoppers? Worried about another infestation of them this year? We do not use chemicals on our property. So what uh, can you? What else if, can you do? Yeah, if you're not using chemicals, there's it's pretty tough because in some places, if they have a drought, like they're talking about being a very hot summer again, uh, if you're not using chemicals, uh, the only thing it's pretty tough because the way they can jump. Is you can probably have to use uh, for your garden. If it's a garden, you're probably going to have to use some of the crop cover, and uh, that's the white fabric that you can put over top that keeps most insects out. Even things like onion maggots and and uh, those flea beetles and those kind of things off some of your crops. They will also keep the grasshoppers off. So that's about if you don't want to go chemicals, that's about the only way you're going to do it. And uh, otherwise. Uh, put a bunch of praying mantises around too. They eat just about anything. I was just the other say, thing yeah. I, I heard is that the the garlic barrier um, that 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 I've heard works. The mosquito barrier, the garlic yep. spray. Yeah, garlic spray. You can those kind of things. Yeah, the garlic spray. The, they don't like the the garlic, and also uh, planting things like the marigolds. A lot of insects don't like marigolds in amongst your plants, and so there's some plants uh, that 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 they don't like. But grasshoppers are pretty. When they get into into their 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 time when they're very evasive, and then they just about roll through and just about eat anything. So yeah, and that uh, sounds like they're doing a shelter belt too, right? Is that what they yeah. said? Uh, kind of it looks like an area all around a big a big dugout. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so if it's shelter belt, and that kind of stuff. There's not if you don't want to use a chemical because there's there's some meals you can put out that I think it's called Echo Band or something like that that you can use around it. But if these people don't we don't want to use. Uh, a chemical, then uh, yeah, it's going to be kind of tough for those trees. Uh, but just the, the trees can stand having insect infestation, but just not multiple years in a row because they will put out a secondary leaf. So just make sure. Bottom line is, if it's warm, just make sure they're going to have water out there so they can recover. That'll be the big one. Okay. Water and fertilizer. There you go. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five in Saskatoon. Marianne is on the phone and joins us right now to talk about a jade. Hi, Marianne. Good morning. Morning. Love your show. Oh, thanks. Listen all the time. Uh, yeah, I have a jade that is, oh, it's got to be about 27, 28 years old. Nice. Uh, like the the stem of it is like I can't even wrap my hand around it. Oh, wow. Holy. <laughs> That's beautiful. So started it from just a little little piece of a leaf. It's probably over two feet tall. Okay. But I noticed the last couple of weeks when I went to water it that it was kind of leaning over in the pot. Yep. And the leaves have gone, they're all 
soft, and even some of the stems coming off off the main, the the, the branches are getting mm-hmm. soft. Okay. And I'm not sure. I'm thinking, I don't want to lose it after this many years. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of years. Now, um, have you changed anything with your watering at all? No. And, no. and I mean, I don't, I kind of watch the plants. You know, the plant kind of tells you when it's thirsty, when the leaves start getting soft a little bit. That's when I would, you know, give it a, a shot of water and then it would, you know, perk right back up. But not this time. Not this time. The other thing that you might want to do is just take a few cuttings off of it as well, too. And uh, start those cuttings again, just like you did when you when you when yeah. you started at the beginning. That will sometimes help rejuvenate it, and just in case something does happen, then you have a little piece of your your mother plant yeah. as well. Too. Well, I do I do have a few other little ones. You know, when the pieces fall off or you know a branch breaks or something, I, I always stick them in the pot just in case. Yeah. When's the last time you transplanted? Um, it's been a while now since I've, and, I, and that's why I was wondering, should I transplant? And I thought, am I going to put it through shock, seeing as it seems to be struggling yeah, right now? it's struggling right now, but if you transplant it, I wouldn't ruffle the roots up too, too much. But at the same time, um, what you're showing, it might be that there's a little bit of water buildup in the bottom of the pot, or you're starting to get some root rot, which okay. sometimes you can't see for a really long time on a succulent because they have such a small root system. Okay. Um, so it might be time to sort of try and pop it out of the pot and have a look at the, the roots in the soil and okay. sort of see what's going on there. Okay. What about, would it be maybe good to also do that and maybe put it under grow light for a while, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Adding some light would be really important. I mean, it is a succulent plant. A jade mm-hmm. plant can handle a little less light than some other succulents. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if you can put it under a grow light, just one thing with any plant, when you're changing the environment, it's going to take a little while to to adapt. And right. so just just make sure you give it the time to do that. And with with a plant, it can take anywhere from four to six weeks to fully adapt to a new environment. So okay. just, yeah. just make sure that you transplant it, give it that full four to six weeks to change and adapt. Don't expect, I did something yeah. different. It's going to, I'm going to see change immediately. Do you know what yeah, I mean? No, no, that's for sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, it does, it, it is in a, we're kind of uh southeast facing window so it yeah. does get you know a decent amount of light. that should be adequate light i think that there might be something going on in your soil um so i think popping it out of the pot might be a good idea examine those roots see what's going on there um if you need to add some fresh soil make sure you use a succulent and cactus mix um that will be important so that it can drain a little bit easier yeah and uh and add a little bit of fertilizer too um you can use a cactus fertilizer on your on your jade plant and okay. that will just give it a little, little bit of help with with any of our plants when when they're struggling making sure that we're really watching our watering and giving it enough fertilizer and light um just to keep it healthy um i mean you've been growing this for a lot of years so don't yep. change don't change what you've been doing but maybe let's check that those roots a little bit for you okay well thanks Perfect. for for the call marianne and best of luck with the jade okay yeah, well, I hope I can bring it back. I hope so, <laughs> us too. Us, too. Us, too. Yeah. All right. And I know years ago I had phoned, a few years back, I had phoned in about uh, using the leaf compost for starting grass, and yeah. grass looked amazing last oh, time. Amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay, thank you. You, too. Bye. 1-877-332-8255. We'd ask you to call that number. Give us a text as well. We're going to check the text line when we get back, but right now it's a news update for everyone. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick. This is Garden Talk on 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick. This is Garden Talk. Welcome back to the show. Hopefully we're getting some spring in the next couple of weeks here. I saw some plus 10 and 11 temperatures next weekend in the forecast. Let's hope that that comes true. It's always kind of that carrot dangling at the end of the string, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it'll happen. <laughs> I'm always the optimist, though, Jay. 
<laughs> Jay, um, when it comes, it's going to come quick. Yes. And so we got to be ready. And that's the biggest thing. Cause I think that as long as it comes and it stays, which I'm optimistic that's going to happen this year, right? We're going to be on track. Well, uh, so April 16th, let's talk about that date. Yeah. April 16th, we're going to go to two hours for garden talk. Nine to 11. Exactly. And then it's going to be a replay as well in the afternoon. That's the same two hours. Okay. And that so replay is that. usually around four. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, April 22nd is a good day because it's Earth Day. It's Earth Day, but it's also our 70th birthday at Dutch Growers. Wow. I know. 70. 70 wow. 70 years ago, my grandfather started Dutch Growers, and it's just grown into, started with a little nursery and grown into the business it is today, and that's so exciting. So we're going to do cake and some seminars and just showcasing some of our product. I'll hopefully have a little snippet of all the different types of annuals by then, and yeah, we'll get started with spring on April 22nd at the store. Pretty cool. Awesome. Okay, so Rick's on the phone here with us. He's in Mooseman today. He's on the on the on the road, so to speak. And we want to talk about a couple of texts we've got in. So we've just talked about spring. Uh, we've got a text that's ro- rolled in here, sort of our text, second one that came in. And it says, So our lilac bush is growing leaves. Is it doomed? <laughs> it's not good. It's growing mm-hmm. leaves. It must be up against the building or something like that that it was growing leaves because it can be the temperature can be quite a bit warmer. Like Jill was talking earlier in the show, but it can be really warm on the south side of a house or a, or a you know a steel building or things like that. So yeah, that's not great. You know, like last night I think it was like minus fifteen last night. So uh, lilacs are pretty tough though. If any plant that can handle a lot of those kind of things, because remember it was still pretty cool when the leaves popped out. So it's a, it's acclimatized. It's not as if you took a house plant outside and all of a sudden you go from 20 degrees to minus 15 degrees. Right. It's, uh, it's quite a bit different. So Now, if that might... plant gets hit by frost, like a hard, hard frost, we go back yep. down to minus 20, and you lose all those tips, I mean, the only thing that would might happen is you might lose flowers or a little bit of flowers for this year, right? You're probably not yep. going to lose the whole plant. No, you won't lose the whole plant at all. You, you're right. You may lose some those leaves. They'll turn black, but then you might lose some flowers. But you, it'll put out a secondary leaf, and then it'll just re, just rebound from that as well. Yeah, That's so pretty tough. Do a light trim on it if you do see yep. that, and then you should be fine. Okay, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. This is from Rose, who's in Saskatoon. Fitting name to call a garden show. Mm. Uh, when is the right time to prune and cut back my hydrangea bush and plum tree? Yeah, uh, the plum trees you can do uh, any time right now. Uh, I like doing this year's a little bit later, but normally I like to in March or the first week of April on the plum trees. The hydrangeas you can do as soon as the snow disappears enough that you can actually, you know, shape them and you want to cut the hydrangeas back at least a third to almost a half if you want. Uh, but a third is for sure. And then that way you'll get lots of new tips and lots of new, way more blooms than you did last year. So that's important. So just wait for the snow to disappear a bit and do it as soon as the snow disappears and before it buds out. That's the key for all those uh, apple trees and hydrangeas. That is you want to prune them before they, they start budding. So, um, uh, and like we said, we had somebody who had a warm spot and the, their lilac started budding already. So you have to be sort of watch it and do it as soon as you can. This year's going to, the weather's going to change really quickly. So uh, you'll have to be, as soon as the snow disappears, you have to do it right away. Okay, we'll go to our next text, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. 332 Julia's in Alameda asks, uh, this is a good question because we're kind of in the middle of seed starting 
time right now yeah. for a lot of things. Can store corn, can, <laughs> read Jay, can corn be started early indoors? You can start it early, but don't start it too early. Okay. Um, it is one that I usually direct so. So if you're going to start it, I would wait until May and then sow it indoors and then move it outside um, later on in the season, like late May. So like mid-May, maybe seed indoors, but definitely don't start seeding your corn indoors right now. Okay. All if right. you have some specialty varieties of corn, maybe like look at the dates on them. So maybe you have some like ornamental corns that you want to use for like fall decor. Mm-hmm. Those ones you might want to start indoors and grow them more like a grass in a pot, um, like an ornamental. Um, but the edible ones definitely wait till later. Okay. All right. This is from Kim and says, good morning. Looking for a recommendation for an apple tree, but not a crab apple uh, in the Sandy Shores Resort area by Danielson Park around Lake Diefenbaker. Okay, yeah, there you can grow a lot of trees. That, if it's a sandier soil, they'll actually like it as long as they have moisture, like a water and also nutrients, okay? So using an organic fertilizer for them. Uh, so what you want to do for those areas is if you want a tough plant, I would go with one's called Prairie Sensation. It was developed by the University of Saskatchewan. Uh, another one would be Prairie Magic or September Ruby or a little bit smaller apples, another one's called Hard Court. Uh, those are the ones that will probably be the toughest for, especially if it's an open area that you have. Uh, if it's sheltered, then you might be able to try a few more different varieties, but those are the varieties that I would suggest. Uh, Goodland is another one that will do fairly well in, in an open area and sandy area as well. Okay. Hey, you mentioned uh, U of S, the tree developed at the U of S. There are actually some great seminars coming up that we wanted to talk about uh, and sort of segue into that a little bit too. We'll keep going with our text in a moment here. But uh, if you're looking f- to get into the gardening, you know, the swing of things, uh, the U of S has some some really cool classes. Yeah, gardening.usas.ca is where you want to go. And uh, they have some free classes and some have a minimal charge. Uh, most of them are about two hours long. Um, there's one tomorrow night, and this one's really exciting um, with the whole food security, home vegetable gardens, growing your own vegetables, and walk you through all the steps to do like urban vegetables and starting them in your own home. Um, the next one that's coming up is there's a free class and on, I'm just going to pull up the date, free class on April 6th. So that's coming up on Thursday. And uh, that one's on composting, and composting is becoming a, a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are, are getting into composting and adding compost to their garden and making their own compost using their scraps. So we'll tell you, sort of walk you through that. That's a free one on April 6th at 7. And then this one I'm really excited about because I think perennials are underused, and I think it's because we're a little bit uneducated on how they work, how to divide them, how to take cuttings off of them, how to transplant them, all these things. But there's so many neat varieties of perennials that you can use as companion plants. And so on April 11th at 7 p.m., they have a two-hour class. And this one is covering all the steps, division, layering, cuttings, transplanting, how to start your own seeds. So like it's like Perennials 101. Cool. And uh, that would be an amazing class to be able to take. It's two hours long, April 11th at 7 p.m. So um, just some great ways that you can sort of uh, build your skills. And I think a lot of gardening is just getting confidence. And um, even if you take the class and it's just sort of, uh, reaffirming something that you already know mm-hmm, and you're mm-hmm. doing correctly. So, and those yeah. are all, they're all online now, right? Yeah, they're all online webinar- webinars. So you can do them from the comfort of your own home. Right. Don't have to travel and that sort no. of thing. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get one more text in. Then we got to go to a break. Uh, this one is from Clayton in Saskatoon. Uh, is there any way to bring back a tree that rabbits ate the bark around the whole tree at mm-hmm. the base? Oh, yeah. Well, a great way to do that is, is buy another tree. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
sorry. Sorry. <laughs> little tongue-in-cheek there, yeah. Yeah, if they've rung it all the way around, um, sorry, it, it'll, it, what'll happen is that it will leaf out in the spring, yep. and then as soon as it gets warm enough in the summertime, there's, it just can't keep up, because what'll happen is the bark protects the wood, where, in between the wood and the bark where the moisture goes up the tree for the leaves, and what'll happen is that'll just dry up and... Uh, and the tree just can't sustain itself because the sap can't go up to the top of the tree, yep. and then the tree will die. So, and to uh, protect sorry, that from it, the future, you'll want to put a tree guard around your trees if you've got lots of rabbits in your area. That yeah, would help. It, exactly. Or even if you've got rabbits and deers, you can put a tight mesh little fence around it for the wintertime. Yeah. They won't, they won't touch them in the summertime. They're only going to eat them in the wintertime. And you've got to remember those fruit trees... Uh, you know how you, your apple tastes a bit sweet? Well, the bark does too, so it's dessert. Okay. Right, yeah. So they love the taste of the of the bark of those trees. Of the apple trees, yeah. Okay, well, sorry, Clayton, for the bad news there. It looks like you're going shopping this spring. Uh, we're going to get back to some more texts. We've got another uh, a tree text in terms of fruit trees, talking about apricots and some apples in there as well. We're going to get Donna's text from Asquith, praying mantis question, Caragana hedge, and we'll talk about uh, a cherry, a nanking cherry bush as well. So we'll get back to those texts when we get back from the break. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick. This is Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Well, it's already the last segment of Garden Talk, but not to fear, by April 16th, we're going to have a two-hour show for you, so there's going to be lots more time to get uh, questions and calls and everything in. I hope by April 16th, too, we have, you know, some more ability to do some gardening outside. We will, Jay. <laughs> I'm very hopeful. Because <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's ever going to end right now. Okay, anyways, enough of that. Uh, we're going to go back to our text line. We've got a whole bunch of texts to get through, so here we go. This is from Scott, who's in Saskatoon. He says, hey, team, we bought a house last year in Saskatoon. It's got two apple trees, a Braeburn and a honey crisp, as well as an apricot tree. The apricot produced no fruit. The Braeburn did very well, and the honey crisp had 14 big, beautiful apples. How, why, though, did the honey crisp never lose its leaves? It didn't lose any leaves. So sounds like it went into winter with leaves on it. Uh, which, which means that there's probably a little bit too moist, okay. or maybe too much fertilizer, maybe too much fertilizer around that plant. So watch your moisture. Once you get out to the September long weekend, slow down the watering. I know that you're watering your lawn, and a lot of times you're at the back of the yard, and the water runs past that one spot from your lawn. So you just have to watch that. You may have to actually, you know, build the area up just in front of the plant a little bit, just by even an inch or two. Mm-hmm. So the water goes around the plant rather than right at it. And that's probably the reason why it kept its leaves so much longer, just because of the, the conditions that it was in. Okay. So the second question is, what can I do to ensure a bountiful harvest next year? So we had some apples on the, the Braeburn. Honeycrisp did okay, but the apricots didn't, uh, didn't make anything. Yeah, apricots, the problem with those is they, they bloom fairly early, so sometimes what they do is the frost, if it's a late spring, the frost will get the blooms. And so, but if you also want to get even more apricots, just actually, pl- they will self-pollinate kind of themselves a little bit, but I mean, if you have another apricot, like a different variety of apricot, like you can go to, uh, you know, if you, if you have a, a, a Westcott, you can go with a, a Scout or there's a few other ones out there as a different variety, then they'll cross-pollinate and you'll get more fruit as well. Okay. All right. Let's go to a text from Donna in Asquith. It says, hi, when is the best time to release praying mantis? I released them in June last year and they all died. We kept a few in the house, but those ones died after molting. 
You want to make sure that your nighttime temperatures are 10 to 15 degrees in Celsius. So you want to make sure your nighttime temperatures are not dropping below that. So you're probably going to be waiting to about mid-June, I would say, right. second week in June, until we're starting to see those nighttime temperatures not dipping below that. As opposed to keeping them in uh, hibernation until just before that is yeah, crucial, keep, right? Keep them in a fridge or um, in a, in a cool cool storage place until that point. Um, even when I took mine out uh, last year, remember we had the chaos <laughs> of them all over my kitchen. Um, when we took them out, it was it was about two weeks for them to hatch when they were out in the sunlight at that point in time. So, so you could almost wait to like the sec like the first week in June, sort of midway through the first week. Yeah, you'd wait two. You'd get two weeks. You'd be sort of the second to third week in June. And then they could go out sort of just after hatching kind exactly. of thing. And then that's perfect time. That's when there's enough bugs outside already too. So it's not necessarily the warm weather. It's also you want to make sure that they have food to eat so that the other yep. bugs are more pre- prevalent so that they can eat and they can stay. Right. And also, also when you put that egg sack out there, make sure there's a little dish, a, a shallow dish of water around too. Because mm-hmm. once they hatch, they're going to want some water right away. And if there's no water around, then that, that's not good for them either. Right. Okay. So maybe a couple tips and tricks for Donna and Asquith. Uh, try try a little bit different timing, maybe, and uh, waiting a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, that might help as well. But once you put them outside, I honestly like they kind of went to work and did their thing. We would scout for them a little bit, but they we definitely noticed the bug population down in our yard. But it, it was hard to find them. They are good camouflage. Yeah, they hide right, yeah. and they also don't stay just in your yard. They're gonna they're gonna keep moving too, right? They'll stay where the food is, mm-hmm. but eventually they will also. So keep spreading out and jump the fence and keep moving a little bit, right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay, let's go to this text. Uh, Sherry in Rosetown, what would be uh, an alternative for a caragana as a hedge? Uh, alternative for caragana would be lilac. I mean, lilac is a tough plant. It's more drought-resistant, just like caraganas are. And so that's the one I would put in. I mean, you, if you go with uh, a lot of the lilacs, they'll get about 12 feet high and almost 10 to 12 feet wide. So it gives you a good windbreak as well, as uh, so it stops lots of snow and lots of wind. So that'd be one if you're thinking about caragana. Otherwise, if you want to be a tree, then you could probably go to a, like even a even a poplar if you have room for it, you know. But there's a lot of narrower poplars like prairie sky poplar or sun dancer, which are narrower poplars as well. Uh, you could put those in as well. So and then then, but just make sure what what's best for any kind of windbreak or shelter belt is. If you try to, especially if you go with a tree, is try to use uh, different varieties of trees. If you put all the same, it kind of looks uniform, but if you get a disease through, uh, it wipes out the whole row. So that's one thing that's not good about that. So uh, even multiple rows, if you, if you have room, that that's even better to do. And you know, put some you know spruces and mix them up. You put some Colorado spruce, put some white spruce in, put some pine in, and mix those even the conifers up a little bit so that you don't get one type of tree. Like right now, a lot of people have Colorado spruce, and what's happening around Saskatchewan right now is needle cast disease is moving around and, and wiping out a lot of some of the Colorado spruces. But if you would have put some white spruces in there, you wouldn't have had that much of an issue, or even pine. Right. So, uh, so that uh, don't mono, don't monoculture. I guess that's what I'm saying in, in the in the end. One text here says, uh, "What was the website of that gardening class?" Just got the tail end of the conversation. So we were talking about gardening classes a little bit earlier. U of S, and it is gardening.usask.ca. Gardening.usask.ca. Okay, we've got like a minute to go here, so we're going to go to Colin in Prince Albert. It's going to have to be a, kind of a short call here, but hi there, Colin. How are you doing? 
Hi, good morning. Good. You're looking for some, um, some suggestions, my, right? Um, well, yeah, I've, I've got a, um, uh, my front yard is north-facing, so it doesn't get a lot of shade. And I do have a uh, flower bed in the front of the uh, front yard, in the front of the house. And I'd like to know if there's uh, any sort of a shrubbery of uh, um, berry-producing uh, shrub that I could maybe use. Like, I was considering blueberries, but um, how well would they do in a uh, mostly shaded area? If it's mostly shaded area, your fruit plants won't do as well. Um, that they like, they like having a little bit more sun. Uh, so, but uh, otherwise, other plants you could put in there is things like your your globe cedars. They'll do well. Uh, there's also you can go to perennials and things like hostas, a still bee, uh, goat's beard, uh, 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 bleeding hearts, uh, dale lilies. There's a whole bunch of perennials that will work in there. Even some ferns. Uh, that will work in there really well. And so that's probably a look to more so uh, than the berries is look to the uh, look into the perennials and uh, you'll have way better success. We're going to have to stop right there. Uh, call and hang on the line. We'll finish answering your call after. And Judy, hang on the line. We'll get to your call after this. Sorry, but we got to go. We're out of time. So we'll see you next week. Exactly. Next time, next week, same time, same place. I'm Jay, Jay with Jill and Rick. This has been Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.